gonna take out the people who hurt my daughter, and they can do whatever they want to me. That's Miriam Rodriguez. Get it, girl. She's a boss ass bitch. Boom. This is Jen. This is Becky. And this is the Mother's Day episode of Too Close to Home. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. We're also mothers, so we didn't get you anything. Sorry. <laughs> but you can get us stuff. <laughs> I love free shit. <laughs> it's uh, my favorite kind of shit. Oh, absolutely. That's why I love going to Costco. They got the freebies out there. Work. Except nowadays they're starting to get them like a little bit more on the healthy side. I'm like, I don't uh, want quinoa, okay? No, I don't want kale smoothie. No. Mm-mm. It's going to be a no for me, dog. I want to try your latest fried chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Originally, we are going to do a Mother's Day episode with our moms. And then the episode we were just talking so much, it just became kind of a blurb of a mess. We'll try again next year. <laughs> but this year, we decided we were going to do one about a badass mom. And I found this really cool story. Um, so I'll give you the sources and you'll kind of get a, a hint of what she's like. The U.S. Department of State's Overseas Security Advisory Council... Again, not really panicked at all about being on a government site. <laughs> Mexico. At some point, we're going to hit enough of them that it's going to trigger an alert. I have FBI come up on my, my fucking front door. Mm. Why we're up here recording, bust through the door and be like, guess what? Surprise special appearance by agent. What's your last name? <laughs> oh, Men in Black. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> so this one was the Mexico 2020 Crime and Safety Report for Mexico City, uh, a Vox article. Hundreds of people in Mexico are kidnapped every year, and the problem's getting worse. And finally, the New York Times. She stalked her daughter's killer across Mexico one by one. Fuck yes. Yes, yes. So we all know that there are, just like in America, some places in Mexico where is super violent, super dangerous, and other places where you can get a nice margarita and sit on the beach. Just like, I mean, that's just like in Houston. I don't want to go to Tent City, but, you know, two blocks away, you know, there's a nice music hall or bar yeah. that... Take me to Rice Blue Village. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's so <laughs> many nice, cute little spots. But so the stories that I'm talking about today are centered around those obviously less savory parts of Mexico. The violence and cartel presence is nothing new in Mexico. Femicide, in particular, is on the rise at the moment. Um, Kidnapping is nothing new. While tourists are kidnapped from time to time, we don't think about the Mexican citizens being kidnapped. Because we, if we go to Mexico, we're usually tourists. One of the two popular threats that face Mexican citizens are migrants that are trying to go into the U.S. and sex trafficking. The number of kidnappings reported throughout Mexico, while difficult to determine, is concerning. Most cases go unreported to authorities, as the popular belief is that the police may be involved or are unable to solve the situation. Victims of traditional kidnappings are physically abducted and held captive until a ransom is paid. In some kidnap-for-ransom cases, the captors receive a ransom and set the victim free. And then in the others, the captors kill the victim despite having received the ransom. The kidnapping surge in Mexico is fueled in large part by an insatiable U.S. demand for drugs. What's more American than fucking up another country? (laughs) I really don't think there is. That's number one right there. Well, maybe the only other thing to be number one is our use of drugs. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We love a good party. (laughs) 
Mexico is a major drug producing and transit nation, and they're the third largest producer of opium in the entire world, which actually kind of surprised me because you think opium, you think Far East. Jimmy's Fun Facts. According to World Atlas, the silver medal for opium production goes to Myanmar, while the gold medal goes to Afghanistan. Being that they are a large producer of drugs, that goes hand in hand with cartel violence as there are trafficking rings all throughout northern Mexico. They're kind of dotted along the border, the U.S. border. There has been a surge of kidnappings in Mexico. In 2013, it reported 1,700 kidnappings took place, according to the data from the Mexican National System of Public Security. That's reported. So think about how many did not. And I would mm-hmm. have to say a, a good majority of them do not get reported. I it was agree. Mm-hmm. It was common in the 90s to have rich people kidnapped. But by the 2000s, the gangs shifted to focus on middle and lower class people because, I mean, think about it in the less dead sense. They didn't attract the attention that those high, high profile people did. Mm-hmm. So they could just do more with less problem of being hindered by you know, media and, of course, authorities. The Mexican government has been largely unsuccessful in their efforts to reduce kidnapping. A large part of this failure can be attributed to the high levels of official corruption. Only 1% of all kidnappers are captured and carried to justice. And from 2010 to 2018, 250,000 people have been murdered 37,000 have disappeared due to the government effort to eradicate crime. Yes, it's something that was meant for the best of intentions, and it ended up making the situation worse. So let's talk about Miriam Rodriguez. She's 54 years old, and she lived in San Fernando, Mexico with her husband. She had three children, Louis, Karen, and Azalea, which I love that name. I do too. Her son left town to go to the capital to own his own store and also to leave the um, disputes in the area it was they were in a very hostile area azalea lives in the same city as her parents but she obviously is married has her own home and karen works with her mother and is finishing school she owned a store karen uh, maria did and it was called rodeo boots and it was unique as stores in that area had lots of Mexico had a hard time with cartel and gang violence and threats that they couldn't stay open. And that one was like a long running, like it had been open for like 20 years. She also nannied part time in Texas. So there'd be long periods of time where she would not be home. On January 23rd, 2012, 20 year old Karen Alejandra Salinas was preparing to merge into traffic when two trucks pulled up on either side of her car, stopping her. Armed men forced their way into her pickup truck and took off with her in it. The kidnappers took her to her familial home that she shared with him, her mother and father. And as Karen laid on the living room floor, bound and gagged, a knock came at the door. Her uncle's unsuspecting mechanic had come to work on the family truck. And the kidnappers, like, panicked and, like, fuck it, we're going to take him, too, and they left. They did eventually let him go because he was not the intended target. The mechanic returns home because, you know, obviously knows the situation's serious. And that's where Miriam is 
currently after seeing all this mess and wondering what's going on, and he tells her what's happened. In the preceding weeks, several agonizing phone calls with threats of violence against Karen were received. Miriam relented to whatever the abductors requested. They assumed at the time that it was the local game, the Zetas. And to pay the first ransom, Ms. Rodriguez's family took out a loan from a bank that offered lines of credits for such kidnappings. There are so many kidnappings in Mexico that there is a specific type of loan you can get for it. It is now such a fact of life that we're like you're treating it like an auto loan. I can't even wrap my mind around that. And they're making money off it. It's like blood money, if you think about it. They're making mm-hmm. interest off these loans. They followed every instruction to the to, to, instruction to the T. Given um, that way, they could make sure that Karen would return. Like they didn't fu- they didn't want to fuck around. They knew who they knew about this. Um, at one point, Karen's father dropped off a bag of cash near the a health near a health clinic. <laughs> health. You're a hail See, there's that uh, twang I talked about. (laughs) (laughs) And then he waited in vain at a local cemetery for the kidnappers to free her. And, of course, nobody showed. Miriam was so desperate that she got in touch with the the Zetas and was requesting a meeting. And to everyone's surprise, they were like, sure, we'll meet with you. The Zetas, once a armed wing of the Gulf Cartel, they had been warring with their one-time bosses for years. They snatched innocents for ransom to finance their war or for conscripts to fight it. So they got, what is it? Um, they call it Hang Sh- Shanghai. Mm-hmm. Whenever they're abducted to work on a boat. Sometimes they or- organize death matches between captives for sport. Well, that's just defeats your purpose there, buddy. You're trying to fund your army and now you're just killing your own people. Come on now. Yeah. Get your shit together. She sat down with a slender young man named L. Jr., at a restaurant in town. He insisted that the cartel did not have her daughter, but offered to help find her for a small fee of $2,000. Of course. And of course she paid. He was wearing a walkie-talkie at the time, and somebody came across the radio and called out to him, and she heard the name, and the name was Sama. After a week, he stopped answering, and the supposed kidnappers started calling again, requesting more ransom. About $500 a pop each time. Her, as her desperation of a mother and the longing of her daughter re- to be returned, she paid ransom after ransom until one day, a few weeks after the last payment, she came downstairs and told her daughter Azalea she knew Karen was never coming back and that she was most likely dead. She told her daughter that she would not rest until she found the people who'd taken Karen. She would hunt them down one by one until the day she died. Mm. And, like... I mean, this is the, like, you hear about moms sacrificing themselves. Like, this is just badass fucking hell. Like, she is like, you know what? This is like a movie. I played by your fucking rules. Now you're going to play by my fucking rules. Do you, boo? Because I, I got, right right now I got some respect for you. Shit, yeah. You're going to put some respect on that name. Some respect. <laughs> so she does uh, this thing where she starts flipping through Facebook all the time trying to see if she can just find a picture of him going through people's Facebooks, just constantly flipping through. Doesn't find anything. And so she decides to visit the mechanic that got released, and she picked his, ba- his brain about uh, abduction details. Who, the, who was there? What were they looking like? What was said? Where'd they go? 
She describes Sama, and he just confirms that he was there. So the man that she that told her that, oh, we didn't do it, but for $2,000 was the one who fucking did it. One morning while she was uh, laying on her couch searching social media, she finds a picture of Sama with a girl in an ice cream shop in a town two hours away. She drives down to that ice cream shop and stakes it out for weeks. She learns the girl's hours um, that she works by heart, hoping to find that Sama will show up. And one day he does. And he picks the girl up and she follows them home and notes the address. She knows that she's going to have to have a lot more evidence before involving the cops to ensure that justice is served. At this point, she cut her hair and she dyed it bright red so Sama would not recognize her. And then she donned a government uniform she had kept from an old low-level job at the health ministry with an official-looking ID in hand, and she spent the better part of the day conducting a fake poll of the neighborhood until she got basic details on one of her daughter's captors. Bitch wow. fucking committed. She, was, she went to the authorities, local, state, and federal, but nobody would help her. Eventually, she found a federal policeman who was willing to assist. And in the article, he wanted to keep his name private because he was not authorized to speak. And I'm sure probably worried about any, you know. Backlash from mm -hmm. the cartels. And he spoke to her, forced for justice. When she pulled her, file, poured her files onto the table, I had never seen anything like it. The details and information gathered by this woman, working all alone, were incredible. She'd gone to every single level of government, and they slammed the door in her face to help her hunt down the people who took her daughter. It was my greatest privilege in my career. By the time the government issued a arrest warrant, Sama had already skipped town, and that made her search intensify, where she gathered more evidence, and namely pictures of Sama and other possible co-conspirators on pure happenstance. September 15, 2014, Miriam's son, Louis, was closing down his own shop. I can't pronounce this. I'm not even going to lie. Swadit, Swad, Swadit, Victoria. To attend the festivals of Mexico's Day of Independence. He had one last customer. A young, slender man browsing hats. Louis dropped what he was doing to take a closer look. And it was for sure Sama. He called his mother and followed him, keeping distance to not arouse suspicion. Sama was arrested in Central Plaza, and he kicked and screamed, claiming he had a cart condition. Oh, one more time. <laughs> You've probably seen that before. Oh, my. Every day. I every see it day. every day. <laughs> in custody, though, he spilled his guts, naming all the other people who were involved and even giving the location on some. One was... Christian Jose Zapata Gonzalez. I love that name, even though he's a bad guy. It just seems like a, I don't know, theatrical. He was too much. That's what I was thinking. Too you much. said theatrical, so yes. Barely, he was barely 18 years old when the police grabbed him, young by even cartel standards. And he was, of course, scared fucking shitless during questioning. At one point, he stated he was hungry, and perhaps out of his youth and her loss, she took pity and gave him her lunch. When the cops asked what she was thinking, she said, he's still a child no matter what he did, and I'm still a mother. Mm. Okay, that just breaks your heart a little bit more. Exactly. Christians, 
possibly softened by the gesture, offered assistance, saying, I'm willing to take you to the ranch where they killed them and where their bodies could be still be buried. At an abandoned ranch near a broke-down tractor, 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 dang, marking a mass grave, Miriam searched the location for any traces of her daughter. And the place was, like, trashed beyond, like, it was disgusting. And there was, like, a pile of belongings, and she recognized her daughter's scarf and the seat cushion from her truck. At that point, they ended up finding dozens of bodies. Some from a shootout months earlier where six of Christian's accomplices were shot. Um, forensic agents claimed that Karen was not among the dozens of bodies they had identified at the ranch. But Miriam fought the government on its analysis like a bitch, like a boss-ass bitch. And the following year, the family said a group of scientists found a piece of femur that belonged to her daughter. Mm. On the drive back from the ranch, she passed a barbecue restaurant near the entrance of the dirt road to the ranch. She had eaten there with Azalea only two days after Karen's kidnapping. Miriam recalled a conversation at that very restaurant with a local girl she knew, Elvia Eliza Betancourt. She asked Elvia whether she had heard about Karen, and by then, everyone had. But Elvia played dumb, which struck Miriam as odd. Now angry, she wondered if Elvia was involved. She had known her ever since she was a child, abandoned by a prostitute at a local brothel, and she used to give her Karen's old clothes. Miriam ran home and began feverishly um, researching and discovered Elvia was Im involved romantically with one of Karen's kidnappers who was in prison for an unrelated crime. Just as she had with the ice cream shop, Miriam waited for weeks outside the prison during visited visiting hours until Elvia finally showed. And when I tell you she staked out, she would pee in cups. She didn't leave that fucking car. She was committed. The police came and arrested her, later discovering that some of the ransom calls had come from her house. Mm. As the trails grew colder, she never gave up and persisted in search for Karen's killers. Some of the culprits were in, some of the culprits were dead, others in jail. Those on the street tried to forge new lives as taxi drivers, gas delivery men, or in the case of Enrique Uel, Rubio Flores, a born-again Christian. Miriam went to Aldama, his small hometown of about 13,000 people, and paid a visit to his grandma. And his grandma stated her son had a troubled past, but thank God he was back in the church again trying to live a better life. And of course, that means she needed to stake out the church. So she went to church services and found Enrique. When the police came and arrested him inside the chapel, the parishioners could hardly believe it. Her family recounted. One asked Miriam for mercy, and she said, where was this compassion when they killed my daughter? Mm. Preach. Mm -hmm. After Karen's disappearance, Miriam's husband became a shell of his former self. He grieved in his reclusiveness. Her grief was taken through this um, hunting. It was a temporary distraction from the grief that began this journey. She told a friend, I don't care if they kill me. I died the day they killed my daughter. I want to end this. I'm going to take out the people who hurt my daughter, and they can do whatever they want to me. Her friends and family became worried for her, scared of what retribution would come from this quest for justice. In March 2017, nearly two dozen prisoners escaped the penitentiary in Swadad, Victoria. <laughs> 
This is where Karen's killers were serving their sentences. Of course. Mm-hmm. Afraid for her and her family's lives, she asked the government for protection, and the police said they sent periodic patrols by her home and work. Like, best we can do is a drive-by once a week. We'll take maybe a looky-loo. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> this did not stop her from continu- continuing her pursuit, however. She was still searching for remaining people responsible for Karen's death. A month before she was killed, she broke her foot chasing down one of the last targets on her list, a young woman who had left town and began working as a live-in nanny. That's safe. Right? Just as before, she began her silent watch of the the home, waiting to see if the girl would emerge. She would urinate in cups, ran her car battery down, listening to the radio in the dark, and her son, Louis, would even sneak onto the street to give her a jump when her um, battery died. Wow. Like she wanted to get this done. Like She was committed. When she appeared, she was arrested by police. And in her excitement of running towards them, Miriam tripped and she broke her foot. She would still be wearing this cast and crutching, walking on crutches come Mother's Day. On May 10th, 2017, Miriam was returning to the home she shared with her husband at 10.21 p.m. She exited her vehicle on the street and slowly made her way to the front door because she was on crutches. A white Nissan truck carrying men who had escaped prison quietly pulled up behind her and fired 13 rounds. People took heart to her fight and found indignation with her death. The city placed a bronze plaque honoring her in Central Plaza. Her son, Louis, took over the group she started a collective of many local families whose loved ones had disappeared, and the authorities pledged to find her killers. And within a, f- a few months, they did arrest two of her, two of the culprits, and a- another one was killed in a gunfight. The people who ordered the hit, however, have never been found or identified. Unfortunately, the collective that she began with these other families and that her son was running faded as fear mounted, for there was a possibility of retribution I mean, she was the the case where everybody was starting to feel empowered because she's she don't give a fuck son she's gonna do it she's gonna do her and she got snuffed out and everyone was like yeah and they they even kind of go over that in this article that um later on there was this boy that was abducted and the family wanted to do what she did but knew if they did it they would face the same you know, fate, and this child was only maybe a few yards away from where she was buried. <laughs> in June that year, nearly a month after Marion's death, officials in the state of Veracruz, acting with information she had provided, arrested yet another suspect in Karen's case. The woman had beaten and tortured Karen during the kidnapping, hanging her up like a boxing bag and punching her. Oh, my God. After doing that... The woman fled to Ver- fled to Veracruz, where she drove a taxi while raising her young son. Miriam had found her too, and Miriam and Karen are buried together, showing a mother's love endures. Hmm, that's a great Mother's Day. Okay, hold on, let me rephrase that. <laughs> it's a great um, show of yes, what of a, a mother will love. do for her child. Yes, a mother's love. I was gonna and say it was a great Mother's Day story, but. Uh, no, when our twisted minds, it's great. I mean, she did die on Mother's Day. She did die for her child. Yeah. For justice for her child. I had heard about it before because it wasn't that long ago that this happened. Uh, and 
So when I was thinking about a Mother's Day episode, I was like, badass moms. Because there are a lot of fucking stories about moms <laughs> being assholes. Yes, I, I'm sure there is. <laughs> Diane Downs being one of them. Yes. Okay? So I didn't want to do an anti one. I wanted to do a pro one where at least some justice was found. And even in all the adversity, and I know that a lot of this is still going on and getting worse of these days. <sighs> the one bitch can make a difference. Yeah. For sure. And in the environment she was in and the danger to do it, like, the only thing that would have made that story better (laughs) is if every time she would have found one of them, she would have just killed him. Oh, God, yes. Like a Punisher style? Yes. 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 That's the only thing that would have made it better. I'm not condoning violence, guys, and I'm not condoning vengeance. I'm just saying the story would have been better with it. I'm just stating the facts, guys. (laughs) They could have made that into a Netflix, <laughs> mo- you know, uh, movie if there were, if she killed them all. And they still can. They can just put a spin on it. Well, you know, one of those ones where you see it's like, uh, based on a true story, some facts oh, have yeah. been dramatized for. <laughs> oh, man. Who would play Miriam? Salma Hayek. Yeah. I can see it. Because Salma's like. Because I would have loved if, like, the woman that, like, hinged her daughter up and used her like a body bag, if she would have done the same to her. Oh, that would have been balling. <laughs> would it not? Oh, that would have been so good. The fact that these people could go on living their lives. but it And then, like, seems... try to reform and be like, I really shouldn't have done that. Like, that's not like you got in a fight, you used to drink too much or party too much, and you're like, you know, that life's behind me. I'm I hung a this life. bitch like, up like a boxing bag and beat the brakes off of her. Like, that's not a normal thing no. to do and then just become normal afterwards. I'm born again Christian, okay? Like, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay, <if you> say so. <laughs> well, to all you moms out there listening to us, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the badass moms out there that don't beat your kids or drive them down a road and shoot them Thank or you. I appreciate you first pimp off. them on the Secondly, streets. Go do you today. Yes. Do something for you. We all do we're not selfless. We're too selfless and so we never do things for ourselves. So Go live your best life as long as it's not killing somebody else. And if it is, then we're going to talk trash about you. I'm sorry. It's going to happen. <laughs> and, you know, if you're telling your family you want them to take you to lunch and they're complaining, remind your kids, I could beat you. I could pimp you out and I don't. So you owe me this. I'm just going to remind you of how good of a mother I am. <laughs> I do it all the time. My kids, they know. <laughs> Until then. Stay safe. Keep your head on a swivel. And don't bring it too close to home. Unless you're ready to get fucked up by Miriam Rodriguez's ghost. She is vengeance. (laughs) Word. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Too Close to Home, don't forget to rate and subscribe to us on most platforms. Follow us on our social media at Too Close Home Pod on Facebook, at Too Close Podcast on Instagram, or if you have your own Too Close to Home experience, shoot us your story at Too Close to Home at Yahoo.com. Thanks for listening.